Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. And our text this morning is 1 Peter 1, the first chapter, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Well, good morning, everybody. This, uh, this is always one of my favorite days of the year when I get to uh, be here at PCC. And I know for our church in Foster City, it's, uh, it's a great day for us to be able to have Gary Godini with us. We love having Gary and uh, are blessed always by, by his teaching at CPC. You know, one of the uh, most important skills that a person can learn in life is being able to distinguish between what is optional and what is necessary. Uh, As simple as that sounds, it's really no small trick because life presents us with so many options, doesn't it? Yesterday, um, or actually a couple of days ago now, someone in our church invited my wife Lynn and I to come to Facebook where they work and have lunch with him there. Now, I had never been to the new Facebook campus, and it was really an amazing experience. Uh, We learned that eating at Facebook is all about options. I mean, you can have Texas barbecue, you can have Asian noodles, you can have lamb curry, or you can just have a hamburger if you'd like. And I was surprised to learn that they even have a massive salad bar. And the salad bar as you know, is all about options. In fact, I have found that eating at a salad bar is really something of a science. All the ingredients in a salad bar can be placed really into two different categories, the necessary and the optional. And woe to the person who cannot distinguish between those two things. I mean, you start with the lettuce, right? That provides the basic foundation for a good salad. Then you have all the other items that you place on top of your lettuce. There's the olives, the mushrooms, the carrots, cheese, artichokes, croutons, green peppers, garbanzo beans. The list goes on. And of course, there's the dressing. But you cannot make a respectable salad with just the toppings. It's tempting because sometimes they taste so good. Amen? but it doesn't work. Imagine a salad consisting of all croutons with just a big pile of olives smothered with blue cheese dressing. I mean, it really wouldn't be a salad at all. What is true of a salad is also true of the Christian life. Some things are optional. Other things are necessary. And sometimes the sheer numbers of things that are optional can cause us to lose sight of the necessary. And so our faith perhaps has no foundation. Our Christian life becomes like blue cheese dressing with no salad underneath. And so 
This morning, I want to focus on one of the few things that is necessary in the Christian life. It's it's a staple of our faith, something every Christian, regardless of culture or calling, is called to. I'm talking about holiness. Holiness is not an option. Any serious study of Scripture will reveal that personal holiness is really, really important to God. And yet, I'm afraid that a similar study of modern Christians shows that many of us consider holiness and the pursuit of holiness really to be a matter of personal preference. J.I. Packer laments this fact in his book, Rediscovering Holiness. Listen to what he wrote. The shape this book has taken reflects my belief that there's need to blow the whistle on the sidelining of personal holiness that has been a general trend among Bible-centered Western Christians during my years of ministry. It's not a trend that one would have expected, since Scripture insists so strongly that Christians are called to holiness, that God is pleased with holiness, but outraged by unholiness, and that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, it might do us some good to just sort of ask the question as we begin here, why is that? Why do we tend to see holiness as something that's optional? Well, I think first of all, we'd all have to admit that the word itself has fallen into some disrepute. So the word Holiness conjures up images of long robes, stone cells, no fun, no sex, stained glass, getting up at 4 a.m., and cold baths. Sounds nice, right? It's a word that the world almost exclusively uses in a negative sense, right? Holier than thou. Holy Joe. Most of us see holiness as something that's rather drab and dreary, but the truth is holiness is something wonderfully beautiful and attractive, that something we all long for deep within. The psalmist tells us to worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. C.S. Lewis once wrote this to a friend, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. If even 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted and happy before a year's end? I think most of us live in reaction to certain extremes that are associated with this word holiness. Our experience with Christians passionately concerned about living a holy life is that they are legalistic, judgmental, overly introspective, and devoid of trust in God's mercy and grace. And so what we've done is we've kind of thrown out the baby with the bathwater. But why do we allow those who are misguided rob us of this entirely biblical idea that holiness is not optional? There's another related reason that we view it that way. It's because many of us, I think, if we're honest, are really far more interested in happiness than holiness. I mean, just take a look at the best-selling Christian books. They're essentially self-help books focusing on how to overcome this problem or that obstacle. They promise a happiness apart from holiness. And rare is the kind of advice today that was penned many years ago by A.W. Tozer. 
He said, go to God and have an understanding. Tell him that it is your desire to be holy at any cost, and then ask him never to give you more happiness than holiness. So there's one final reason I want to mention that we see this as rather optional, and that is because if we're honest, we see holiness as something that is unattainable. So we see it as kind of for like super saints only. I mean, we know the depth of sin in our own hearts. And so we kind of resign ourselves to live a Christian life where sin is held in respectable check but never really defeated. And because we know we can never be completely holy this side of heaven, we tolerate certain sins as long as they don't hurt others or mar our own respectability. But how do we make sense of statements in Scripture like the one found in Hebrews 12, make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So that makes absolutely no sense to me unless some measure of holiness is possible and even expected this side of heaven. So before we look at our text, I want to give you a definition of what holiness actually means. So I've told you so far what holiness is not, but what is it? And really, you should know there are two ideas that are sort of contained within this idea of holiness. So one is the idea of something simply being separated and dedicated to God. So we speak of the Holy Bible, we speak of the Holy Land, we speak of the Holy City of Jerusalem. So those things are holy simply because they have been separated from the common and they belong to God. So there's a sense in which we as followers of Christ are already holy because we have been set apart by God. And that's why in the Bible we are often called saints, which simply means what? Holy ones. But the other idea behind this word has to do with actually being pure, righteous, and blameless. And we know, of course, that God alone is holy. God alone is in a moral category by himself. He is different from all of his creation in this regard. And so it's in this sense that we all know we fall so short of the absolute holiness of God. And so with that in mind, I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Nowhere in Scripture is the call to holiness clearer than it is in this text. And it's here that Peter calls us to a holiness that is based on the Old Testament call of God to the people of Israel where God said to them, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so let me read one more time this text. I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Now just notice a few things about this call to holiness. I want you to notice, first of all, that this call to holiness is rooted in hope. It's rooted in hope. The hope that Peter looks forward to is not just like a wish for a brighter future. It's not just blind optimism. Notice that it is based on the assurance 
that what is hoped for actually will happen. It's guaranteed. Our future hope is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, we have this certain hope that he is alive and that he will come again. And notice that this hope of him coming again is connected to the concept of grace. Grace is what we hope for when he appears. So when Jesus appears, when Jesus reveals himself, those who know him will fully experience his grace. So grace, not wrath, is coming for us. And when that happens, we will be made completely holy. The Apostle John put it like this. He said, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So this means we will become holy, not because of all of our efforts, but because of his grace. So here's the problem. Many of us don't live with this unshakable hope. Maybe we're controlled by fear. I mean, we live in a world that is absolutely controlled by fear these days, fear of economic collapse, fear of world events, fear of disease. Or maybe, maybe we're controlled not so much by fear, but by guilt and by shame. I mean, we all know how broken we are. We know that we don't deserve God's grace and mercy. How do we fight the fear and the shame that extinguishes our hope? Peter tells us. Look what he says. He says, you start with your mind. He says, with minds that are fully alert and sober. The King James Version says, gird up the loins of your mind. And that image comes from a Jewish man's attire. They wore a tunic that flowed all the way down to their ankles. So if you needed to run or if you needed to work, you would wrap your tunic around your belt. You would gird up your loins. Today we say, hey, roll up your shirt sleeves and go to work. Peter says, roll up the shirt sleeves of your mind. Prepare your mind for action. Set your mind on the hope of seeing Jesus and being transformed into his image. I got to tell you, I do not naturally wake up every day filled with hope. Do you? Honestly, I have to talk myself into it. So that's what I do. I gird my mind with hope. So I have to be in God's word to do that. I have to preach the gospel, if you will, to myself. And so I remind myself every morning of who I am in Christ. He loves me. He forgives me. He's given me his Holy Spirit. He's given me the hope of heaven. He's given me the promise that he will finish the work that he began in me. So I, I preach hope and grace to myself every single day. That's how I gird my mind for action. So notice also in this passage that those who are called to holiness are actually called obedient children. Obedient children. So as children, we are loved by his everlasting love. We are absolutely secure in our Father's care and provision for us as his children we naturally want to please our Father. And pleasing Him means we pursue obedience and holiness. And it's so important as we hear this call to holiness, we hear it as His children. We hear it as those who have been 
graciously brought into his family, adopted even, and need never fear abandonment, need never fear condemnation. And it's only in this secure context of love, of a father's love for a child, that holiness can actually grow. So we don't pursue holiness in order to be loved by God. We pursue holiness because he has already loved us with an everlasting love. So nothing we can do will make us more lovable to God. His love did not originate because we were holy, nor does it continue because we are holy. So I have, I have five grandchildren and one more on the way. The oldest is a girl, and then there are four boys, and I'm hoping for another boy so we can have a basketball team. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids. And I'll tell you what, my grandkids are perfect. They are perfect. I always say that I would kill for my kids, but I'd kill my kids for my grandkids. Um, But I'm sure those kids, and I know they already do, have their moments. The truth is, they're just kids. And so they, they do all kinds of goofy things. They misbehave. But obviously, I don't stop loving them when they disobey. They, can, they could even do great harm to me and our relationship. They could hurt me. But that can't change the fact that they're my grandkids, and I love them. And far from encouraging them to disobey, that love will actually compel them to follow my example. So as you pursue holiness, keep in mind you are his beloved child. You can run away, you can rebel, but you can't change that. And in the end, it's his love that will compel you to obey. We're obedient children. The next line in verse 14 tells us what obedient children are not to do. He says, we are not to be conformed to the evil desires which were ours in ignorance. So to take this call to holiness seriously, there's a renunciation that is required of all of us. And the renunciation has to do with what Peter calls the desires which were ours in ignorance. Though we still do battle with the pull and the attractiveness of these desires, we are not slaves to them any longer. These desires can include the desire for food or sex or comfort or recognition or money or control or even companionship. It's not that these things are wrong in and of themselves, but our fallen nature twists a natural and healthy desire for these things and makes us their slaves. And so they end up controlling us instead of us controlling them. And so our master is no longer God, but our appetite. That word conform, by the way, means literally to be molded by and shaped by. And the idea there is this molding takes place on the outside in contrast to what we are on the inside. So again, as believers, our true inner nature is to please our Father, to be holy. That's who we are. That's our true identity. And to live as slaves to our desires is in violation of that new nature. It's to live as something that we are not. So we see here, to live holy lives, we must renounce and subdue desires that used to shape our lives. That's what Peter says. And you can bet that this will involve a fight for every single one of us at some level. 
Down in verse 11 of chapter 2, Peter says that we should abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Huh. Years ago, Thomas Boston put it this way. They that would keep themselves pure must have their bodies in subjection, and that may require, in some cases, a holy violence. A holy violence. And part of the reason this is such a battle, let's be honest, it's just the world in which we live. Everything around us plays into these desires. It's impossible to escape. So, so we have to be ever on guard and vigilant. We have to actually develop habits and practices that actually help us conform to holiness. So uh, last season, not this season, thankfully, I got to go to a Warriors game. And... Uh, and I hadn't been to a Warriors game since they got good, so I was really excited to go to this Warriors game. And so, man, we got there so early. Like, we got there before the ushers got there. But we got there, and uh, I'll tell you what, it had to be like 5.30. The game didn't start till 7.30. There was one person out on the court. Guess who it was? It was Steph Curry. And, and you know that little flip shop he does where he just kind of flips that little thing up and he's got this perfect touch? He must have done that 50 times. 50 times, and then he went back to the three-point line, and he took probably 50 more three-point shots. I mean, by the time he was done, before the game had even started, he probably had taken 500 shots, and I thought to myself, I can't even believe he can lift his arms, much less play in a game. It was unbelievable to see what he had done. His ability to score is the product of thousands of shots. And hours upon hours of practice. What if we applied that to the concept of growing in holiness? What kind of practices might we incorporate into our lives to become proficient in holiness? Just as Steph would never be the great three-point shooter without practice, you and I will never become proficient in holiness without building practices into our lives like prayer, and service, maybe fasting, meditation upon scripture that, that train us in holiness. We need to do more than try hard. We need to train hard. This is even more important when you consider the standard that Peter says we are to shoot for. He, he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Our standard is the absolute holiness of God. Not only do children obey their parents, but they resemble their parents, right? Uh, they bear the family likeness, both in the way they look and in the way they, and in the way they learn to imitate their parents. To make the holiness of God our pattern is so important because there are so many false ideas out there about what holiness is. And so the temptation is for us to create our own version of holiness that is both humanly manageable and culturally acceptable. And this is the root, I believe, of so much of what I would call legalism in the church that makes Christianity unattractive and petty to some. To be holy, we need a fresh vision of the holiness of God. And then we'll be less prone to rationalize certain ideas and actions and statements like, well, that's just the way I am, right? Or, well, I know a lot of other Christians who do that. Or, um, hey, this isn't hurting anyone. What's wrong with it? 
So take time to study, to meditate, and pray over this theme, the holiness of God. All of us love to think of God as sort of our ever-present, congenial grandpa, but he's much more than that. He is the Holy One. He's the Holy One. And that leads me to the final thing Peter says about this call to holiness. He points to what I would say is the pervasiveness of this call. He says this holiness is to extend in all you do. In all you do. Not just some of your behavior, but in all of it. So if God's holiness is our pattern, then we can no longer sort of categorize sins into that which is tolerable and okay and that which is off limits. In the sight of a holy God, what we consider minor flaws are major offenses. In commenting on some of the minute dietary commandments of the Older Testament, one writer said, it is not the importance of the thing, but the majesty of the lawgiver that is to be the standard of obedience. Not too long ago, I went out uh, to move our daughter's car from the street um, in front of our house to my driveway. It was parked on the street. I live on a kind of a narrow street. I wanted to get it out of the way of cars that came by, so I wanted to put it in our driveway. It was raining super hard, and I could hardly even see, but as I backed up, I heard a thud, and I realized that I had actually backed into my neighbor's truck, which was parked on the street. Now, honestly, just between you and me, it's always bothered me that he parks there because his truck is literally right on the edge of my driveway. And so my first thought was, I knew this would happen sooner or later, right? My second thought was, did anybody see me do this? (laughs) And I, I wonder if there's even a mark on his truck. I mean, I didn't hit it really that hard. It was nighttime. It was pouring rain. So I walked over to see if I could see a dent or a mark on the bumper. I couldn't, so I thought, well, I don't see a problem here. No harm, no foul. But again, I felt a little guilty. I didn't sleep very well that night. And so the next night, I kind of snuck out, and I noticed that, indeed, there was a black scuff mark and a little scratch on his bumper. Oh, boy. Then the rationalizations began. That car shouldn't be there in the first place. Not only that, that mark might have already been there. And then I thought, you know, I'll bet with a little bit of that solvent that that I could just wipe that scratch and that scuff mark right off. So that's what I did when no one was looking. That night, I snuck over to the car, I got on my knees, and I tried to rub it out. And, and, And I thought, I think it's completely gone. I really do. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, I'm a terrible person. You're thinking, how could that guy be a pastor, right? He's a criminal. Well, you'll be glad to know that I did finally tell my neighbor. And he was so nice and so kind. And he said, oh, I can't even see anything there. Thank God. He's blind. No. Um, He still does park there. But I'm fine with that now. Now, why do I tell that story? Because it illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. We're called to be holy in all we do. Even in that stuff. Even when no one's looking. I love how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, we should purify ourselves or cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness 
in the fear of God. Not just some things, but everything. Not just body, but spirit. Though no one saw me, my actions and my rationalizations were a breach of the holiness of God. But so often we rationalize things according to what is expedient for us. Let me close just by encouraging you to take some time and just search your heart on this very simple idea of the call and the necessity of holiness. Be ruthless with yourself. Ask yourself if you've really taken this call seriously enough. Is there any area of your life where you have come to just be comfortable with, to tolerate, to rationalize, to minimize sin? This might be painful and even scary because as soon as we're willing to call it what it is, we know that we're also responsible to do something about it. And I know that a message like this can sound very demanding and even rigid, you might think I should emphasize more the work of the Holy Spirit within us, without whom none of us could even begin to even want holiness. Please know this entire message assumes that God is at work in you. God is at work in you to make you holy. I believe the work of becoming like Jesus, of becoming holy, is 100% God's work, and 100% your work. But the good news is this. God's 100% is far more than your 100%. Yes, God is at work in you. Yes, God will finish that work. But I would just ask you today, are you working out what God is working in? Are you working out in your life what God is working in? What if you worked as hard at holiness as you do at your career? at keeping your weight down, at keeping your house clean. For some of us, it's time to stop presuming on the grace of God. It's time to start taking seriously this call to holiness. It's time to deal with sin, with some of that holy violence, and put it to death. As we do that, God will always prove faithful to do the work of changing us from the inside out. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so humbled before you with a message like this, with a text like this, and we just come before you. We are so grateful to be called your children, so grateful to be loved with an everlasting love. And help us to be people that do not presume upon your grace and mercy, but because you have put your spirit within us, that we would be people who long for holiness and that we would be people who fight sin and that we would be people who are more and more conformed to the image of Jesus who himself was holy. We ask this in his name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.